Everybody in the country seems to be asking one simple question. It's not, is Texas back? It's not, how many SEC teams will make the playoff? It's four simple words. Everybody wants to know, is Bo Nix good? And with that, we welcome you to the Week 8 Recap of the 3 Tech, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmys and the Joes, along with Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney. I'm Mitch Mason, and fellas, I mean... We're we're forced to look in the mirror and and truly ask ourselves after everything we've had to watch over the last several several years of Bo Nix at Auburn, them getting shellacked by Georgia, these past couple weeks. I mean, Trey and I talked about it on the on the preview episode. Is Bo Nix good, Garrett? Let's start with you. I mean, five touchdowns. He put up some impressive numbers against UCLA. Obviously, Oregon comes away with the big victory. We'll start there, but. Answer the question, man. Uh, the, the folks want to know. I think Bo Nix is pretty good. I mean, we might be wrong. Bo Nix might just be average, but he's playing for Oregon, so there's good talent around him. We clearly learned that Auburn is bad, right? I think that's pretty obvious at this point. Auburn is just a trash program who couldn't make Bo Nix work. But, I mean, good for Bo, right? Fantastic performance. Nothing maybe spectacular about the yardage of the completion percentage necessarily, but five touchdowns is pretty dang good. It's, he was efficient. He was very good. Uh, and they got a massive win that they needed to get to maintain the driver's seat right there in the Pac-12. Yeah, and no turnovers, too. That, that's been as big as see in the past. And it's amazing what happens when you don't have to play the talent level on defense that the SEC has week in and week out, right? And I say that kind of in jest because I know there's a lot of talent in the Pac-12. I know that he's faced some talented defenders. UCLA's defense has looked really, really good at times this year. So I'm not trying to take anything away from the individual players out West. But, man, it it is a night and day difference. He's already thrown for more touchdowns this year than he has in any season in his career up to this point. And we're only, what, eight games into the season? So... He's having a renaissance here. It is the Bo Nix renaissance, and I'm here for it. He's leading the charge for the Pac-12 to make a return to the playoff. What did we think about those jerseys yesterday? I know they were the stomp out cancer jerseys, so you know, great cause, great message. I, I, I felt like there was a lot going on with those. I didn't get to see them a ton live. I just saw them kind of on highlights and stuff. Uh, I'll get into my watching experience this week in a little bit, but <laughs> I was mostly using the uh, uh, varsity app. Um, yeah. So lots of, lots of following along with local play by play yesterday for me, but I thought I kind of liked them. They, they weren't the worst thing that Oregon's ever put out there. They definitely weren't the best, but I, sure. solidly above average for me. Yeah, that is true. I mean, that is just kind of Oregon though, right? They're going to put a bunch of colors on a uniform, a bunch of schemes, a lot of patterns, and then they're going to say, you're going to deal with it, right? If you like it, great. And if you don't like it, oh, well, you're not going to see it ever again. We're going to wear nothing twice, right? So 
it, it, I thought it looked fine. I wasn't really impressed with it, but you know, we'll never see this combo again. Exactly. They'll make new ones. The the nameplates and the, the numbers being different colors reminded me of like high school homecoming signs. When you put electric tape, uh, you know, across a, a billboard or whatever, and it's just multicolored and, you know, everything is, is for attention. That's kind of what it I had a similar of. thought. Yeah. yeah it, it had some Friday night lights vibes, um, but certainly not the most important thing to take away from that game. We'll do the housekeeping after this game. Cause it was just so, so pressing. We had to get to it. Guys, is Oregon going to make the, the, the PAC 12 uh, championship game and then the college football playoff? Are they the last hope for the conference? I should say to do both of those things in an impressive fashion after what Oregon did again, beating UCLA, a very good UCLA team, 45 30 at home. I don't think that they're the last hope. I mean, there's three teams sitting there with one loss um, and lots of good matchups. Uh, USC, UCLA still have to play. I think Oregon still plays Utah down the stretch uh, right before the end of the season. So I think Oregon has the clearest path to the playoff. They certainly have the best path to the Pac 12 championship game. They can win the Pac-12 with one loss with a win over Utah and probably another win over either USC or UCLA on championship week. I think that's a pretty solid resume. Wheeling off 12 wins in a row after, look, it was a debacle against Georgia. That's going to be really hard for the committee to put past, especially if they're comparing Oregon and Georgia directly. We kind of talked a little bit about that. Um, I think it was on the preview show or on the recap show last week, but Man, it's a solid resume. It would be a really solid resume. I know that there's people on other parts of the country that would scoff at that, scoff at the idea of a team that lost to Georgia by 40 getting to go to the playoff, but it's all about where you are at the end of the season. And I think if Georgia goes 12 and sorry, not Georgia. If Oregon goes 12 and 1 and, you know, Pac-12 champion wins over UCLA, USC and Utah in addition to all the other Pac-12 North teams, that's a really solid resume that's going to be hard to leave out of the playoff. Yeah, but it's going to get left off the playoff. I, I think the Pac-12 is done officially. <laughs> um, I don't think that a Pac-12 team that's not undefeated can make it in. You guys got to talk about this on the show that I missed a couple times ago where y'all were saying, hey, you know, are there going to be three SEC teams in the playoff? How can you have three SEC teams in a playoff as part of the discussion and also talk about a one-loss Oregon when you're also thinking about teams like TCU coming out of the Big 12, maybe even a one-loss Oklahoma State getting a, a rematch with them. Maybe they win the conference. Uh, that they, they talk about it being an overtime loss in the regular season away. Um, and then with wins over Texas, which we'll talk about later, maybe beating Oklahoma later in the season. That's a better resume than what Oregon's going to have, I think. Um, Clemson as well. You can't leave Clemson out of this conversation. And then you look up to the to the Big Ten and – you're going to leave off a one-loss Michigan if they if they only lose to Ohio State on the road when Ohio State's probably getting the one seed? I mean, I, I can't see how that happens, personally. I don't see how you can look at all these teams and say that a one-loss Oregon, even as a conference champ, is going to make it in outside of, obviously, some crazy bounces going some weird ways where there's a bunch of two-loss conference champions. Yeah, it's, it's 100% going to depend on what happens in the rest of the college football landscape. 100%. But... I'm just saying I I like I would like that resume, and I think it would be comparable to some of those other teams that you could slide into that four spot. If Oklahoma State has one loss at the end of the year, I think a one-loss Oregon, their one loss being to Georgia, and you're always going to be comparing losses with the fourth team, right? And 
it's going to be really interesting to see how the committee handles, you know, a loss to TCU. Who knows how they finish the season? Who knows how we perceive TCU the week of Thanksgiving? I think TCU is here to stay, especially, and we'll get to that in a minute, how they handle Kansas State this week. But who knows? There's so much to unpack. There's so much that could still happen. They've got a chance. I, I don't, I'm not ready to write off the Pac-12 completely just yet. And yeah, just a, gosh, a brutal, brutal end of that game for the Kansas State Wildcats. We'll get to that next. We'll also talk about, Garrett, you mentioned not writing off Clemson quite yet. Uh, certainly not writing them off, but boy, that game against Syracuse now, that was, mm-hmm. that was hairy for the vast majority of that game. We'll talk about that coming up uh, as well. To, to finish here on Oregon-UCLA, you know, Trey, you, you made the note that this game, it was Oregon came out quick and they punched UCLA in the mouth, but they really felt like they took the bull by the horns when they recovered that onside kick. Yeah, that onside kick in the first half just absolutely changed the game. It was really a back in the fourth game at that point. They were matching scores with each other. One team would kick a field goal. The other team would match it, score a touchdown, match it. Oregon gets back-to-back touchdowns with an onside kick in the middle. And that really just changed the game. That on top of UCLA having to kick field goals instead of converting their opportunities to touchdowns really just allowed Oregon to pull away from this one. And just crazy stat to me is these teams combined for one punt the entire game. So it wasn't like the UCLA offense was sputtering. They just couldn't convert their opportunities to touchdowns. And that really hurts you when the other team is converting their opportunities to touchdowns. The, the drive chart was video game-esque. I mean, it yeah. was it was touchdown, 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 field goal, touchdown, field goal, touchdown, touchdown, field goal. It was insane to, to go back and look over some of those stats. Bo Nix, for what he tallied, 22 of 28, 283 yards through the air, five touchdowns. I mean, gosh, he diced up this UCLA defense. It felt like I watched the same highlight two or three times where the UCLA linebacker, safety, whoever was supposed to be guarding one of the running backs or the H-back coming out of the backfield just forgot their assignment. And Nick's hurt them all game long, throwing to that far sideline, the wheel route. It's how they scored at least two of their touchdowns. But he was very good in the pocket. He had time with his offensive line. He was making the right reads and not turning the football over. A big key why Oregon is able to win 45-30. We talked about this in the the preview uh, months ago now. Oregon dodges USC. So you look at Oregon's uh, rest of the the schedule coming up, and it's not a murderer's row. It's not easy either, but they're at Cal, at Colorado, home against Washington and Utah, and then on the road for whatever we're calling Oregon, Oregon State nowadays. Uh, The Platypus Cup, I guess, is maybe what it's going to be called. Um, So not, again, not, not a murderer's row, but Cal's got a good defense. Not not enough of, of an offense probably to keep up with Oregon. Washington's plucky. They're six and two right now. And then there's Utah, who seems to have resurrected their season. When you look forward for these last five games, if you had to put money on does Oregon get to the Pac-12 championship game unscathed from here on out? If they go five and zero oh or no, which are you taking? I would say right now, yes. I think they do make it unscathed. Uh, obviously at the beginning of the season, I probably would have picked Utah to beat them because I picked them to go undefeated. But this is a very different team, especially going on the road. 
guys, Otson is just undefeated, right? You just can't win in Otson in those big time situations. It doesn't seem like they're afraid. It seems like there's just something about there where people go up there to die. You know, I, I don't know what it is, but awesome environment. Utah plays them at Otson. You know, it, it's not a great spot for them. And I'm not really scared of any of the other teams on that schedule. They've all looked like they have enough holes that they can, you know, kind of exploit them. And again, kind of going back to the Bo Nix thing, Bo Nix is good. He's a really good quarterback. There was something wrong with the psyche when he was at Auburn. There's just something wrong with getting chased around, having to play elite level defenses, you know, Georgia every year, Bama every year. And I think there's something about being able to settle in, relax a little bit, you know, play teams that maybe aren't quite as talented on the defensive side of the ball as you've seen in the past. And also just be able to to have playmakers around you who are going to not let you down, right? There are a lot of times that the playmakers at Auburn would let him down as well. So I think you combine a, a comfortable and a competent and a very confident Bo Nix right now with the Autzen home field. And you know what? Yeah, go ahead. Give me, give me the Ducks making it all the way with one loss, uh, with that one loss only being to Georgia. I thought you were going to cut it off at will they make the Pac-12 championship? And I was like, yeah, bet the farm on that because they're undefeated right now in conference. Of course, we've talked about that. They have a game up on the other contenders, but that is a tricky close to the regular season. I don't think they'll have any problems with Cal or Colorado, but home against Washington, home against Utah at Oregon State over the course of three weeks. That's tricky. And Oregon State's a bowl team. They got bowl eligible yesterday with their sixth win. So. You can go buy that the is merch. a yeah that is a tricky tricky close to the schedule so I wouldn't be surprised if they pick up one more loss here and kind of make this Oregon playoff talk kind of a moot point but yeah yeah I think they're pretty much a lock to make the championship game can we go ahead and applaud regardless of how this works out the first year coach Dan Lanning on how he's done yeah. very Absolutely. first episode we talked about our best coaches that we thought I put Dan Lanning at the top of that list and I feel very confident with what I said there Dan Lanning's done a fantastic job building up that program not that they were in a terrible spot but they look very very good very disciplined they're playing hard they're playing well great job up there in Eugene they're kind of the best survivors of the coaching carousel so far, right? Yep. We saw, yeah. you know, they were one of three power programs to get their team, their, get their coach poached last year. And they're looking like they haven't missed a beat. While the, whereas the other two, Notre Dame and Oklahoma, big question marks. Well, and the guy that left town, Mario Cristobal, not exactly grass is greener down there. Not, uh, not, not in Miami. So, no. you know, I think there's a lot of Oregon fans who feel good about the decisions they've made as a program the last few months. I think it's Miami's biggest booster that John Ruiz character who on Twitter, he tweeted, I've taken some time off to reflect. This was the worst day of my life after they got absolutely <laughs> housed by Duke yesterday. We'll, we'll talk about that in, yeah. uh, in a little bit more detail later on as we rip, whip around the ACC. Uh, of course, we've made it, what, 14 minutes into this podcast now. I want to remind you of the housekeeping if you're not already following us on social media, please head on over to at 3 Pod to do so. You can do that on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we love getting to, to interact with you guys. We tweeted all day long yesterday and uh, most days during the week as we just talk college football. Obviously, now we've kind of shifted out the pretenders from the contenders club, and now we get to focus on the end of the season, uh, who's going to be making the playoff, New Year's Six Bowl games, who's really setting their programs up for success. So if you want to join that conversation, Head on over at 3TechPod. If you are brand new to the show as well, welcome. Glad to have you as a part of the 3Tech family. Hit subscribe for us. That would really help us. It continues to help this show as we grow, reach more college football fans like yourself who might have found this show for the first time here in week eight. 
Um, so yeah, leave us a, leave us a review as well. If you would not mind again, that helps with the algorithm and, uh, yeah, guys, it's, it's been a lot of fun so far. Tell you what a team that is also having a lot of fun so far. That is the TCU Horn Frogs, the Hypno Toad Army, rose up yesterday. TCU 38, Kansas State 28. Even with Adrian Martinez and Deuce Vaughn getting hurt early in this game, Kansas State was in full control. At one point, they were up 28 to 10. It felt like if they can just find a way to continue to move the chains, get first downs, take care of the football. Exactly what I said was going to take place, that TCU finally was going to run out of gas. And guys, I don't know who is helping them out, if it's benevolent hitchhikers or what, but they continue to put gasoline in the tank. When I think they're on their last drop, they roar back. Not only do they tie Kansas State, but they win by 10. And TCU now is looking like a legitimate contender as the Big 12 favorite. And maybe if they can go all the way, you can't keep them out of the playoffs. Yeah, and it's the second week in a row that they fell behind early and just had the resiliency to claw back into a a game where we thought maybe they were not the inferior team, but maybe the less talented team or the less, you know, less likely to win um, on that field on that day. So hats off to them. You just can't say enough good things about what they're doing right now. They've got a balanced attack on offense. They threw for 280, ran for 215 on Kansas State. They pitched a shutout in the second half after falling down 28 to 10. So just a really, really balanced, fun, exciting team to watch right now. And yeah, I'm excited to see how they take on that end of the schedule. They do have a really backloaded schedule like we've kind of talked about, but man, lots of uh, in-state rivalries that would love to knock them off, but I'm excited to see how they handle it. Yeah, and I think exciting is the perfect word for this team right now. I I got the chance to drive around in Fort Worth yesterday. I was in downtown um, for a little bit, and man, let me tell you, the energy downtown was unlike anything I'd seen from a TCU program. There were people out in purple. They were, you know, hitting the early bars, early brunch spots, right? And they're they're getting things ready for the game and starting to gear up. And I was shocked because I had never seen that from a TCU team downtown. You see people getting ready to go to the game all the time, but... There was just something different about the presence downtown. And, and man, like it was exciting, right? It, it is just exciting to watch this team play. Obviously, I think we would have all preferred to see a full game of the starters for K-State. You know, it, it sucks being out some of your best players, right? This is pretty much the entire engine for the offense was Martinez and and Deuce. But, you know, it, it's it, it still can't take away from what TCU is doing. They seem to be the class of the Big 12 right now. They're scoring with no problems. They play opportune defense, and man, they are just screaming towards a playoff berth at this rate. I mean, I'd like to go back and check what we said for the floor ceiling from the preseason because I don't think any of us had them as even a dark horse, you know, New Year's Six team or a possible top half of the conference. I don't think any of us even had them there. So, you know, fantastic job to Dykes and and his staff that he has assembled there. And man, Max Duggan is that guy. Yeah, he, he is that dude. Uh, Great job for him. So happy for him. And I hope they keep it going. It would be a lot of fun to have a good TCU on this side of the Metroplex. I'm not sure if if either of y'all have gone back and looked. I'm pretty sure I picked TCU as five and seven. Um, and that was inspired by not only my own research, but guys, nobody in the state of Texas was high on TCU. I mean, no. you look at the, the Bible of high school and, and now college football in Dave Campbell's they had TCU struggling to make a bowl game. And everything that I read with no QB1s, 
at, at the time, no real uh, understanding of what you had out wide other than maybe Tay Barber. Quentin Johnston, not even mentioned, I don't believe, in most of the previews that I read about TCU. So they truly have had this come to Jesus moment early on. And, you know, Trey, you, d- you did mention their schedule. It's it's backloaded in that I, I think the road games are tricky. Now, West Virginia may roll over and, and go to sleep after they got. That's like, always a really weird game, though. TCU West Virginia yeah. is always weird. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, if, if West Virginia is going to win another game, it would be at home. So they're at West Virginia. Then they come uh, back to Fort Worth to play Texas Tech in what will be, I think, the most hostile environment, honestly, of the entire season. Again, going back to the preseason, the cactus everything that that has gone on between those two programs at Texas at Baylor home against Iowa State. Now I don't think any of us really think Iowa State poses much of a challenge, but it's that it's the next four games, right? Get through two road or three road games. Three of your next four on the road including the Red Raiders, Texas and Baylor. Yeah, to to get through that undefeated, gosh, you got to feel like they're going to win the Big 12 championship game and at that point they're for sure in the playoffs. Yeah, so I went back and looked at it. Uh, both of y'all picked them to go four and eight. I was slightly more optimistic at five and seven, and we picked them collectively to finish seventh in the conference. So that not not a great read on that one for us, but I think it just goes to show that they're way ahead of schedule, and we are underestimating what Sonny Dykes is able to do with this program in such a short time. And to go to your point, we don't even have to talk about the program. We can talk about this year. Right. A lot of teams we're going to talk about today, we're going to say things about where they are as a program and maybe what this means for the future. But, man, great job from TCU for this year. They've got a real chance this year if they just take care of their business. Some of those games at home, like you were just talking about, take care of your business. Right. Go win. Go make the the Big 12 championship game. See what you can do. This is a lot of fun right now for the TCU fans. Go ahead and live it up, guys. Y'all are absolutely deserving of this right now. Many of those teams that you're talking about, Garrett, are also in the state of Texas and ones that ourselves and other publications were much higher on than the Foreign Frogs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let's move on down the road. I guess one one other thing. With Adrian Martinez and and Deuce Von Hurt, it really feels like the ceiling for Kansas State is is capped right now. We don't I, I don't know the severity of either of their injuries, but. Gosh, you, you, you don't feel good about that team uh, coming out of that game without a healthy quarterback and running back duo, which, man, it was so, it was truly a tale of two halves. It felt like Will Howard was going to come in and be completely fine. And then it just, they get shut out. They give up 21 unanswered and, and TCU runs away. So for me, it feels like if you don't have a healthy Deuce Vaughn for sure, uh, this Kansas State team may be in a little bit of trouble coming down the stretch. Yeah, Will Howard looked fine um, in that first half especially, but a couple bad turnovers down the stretch, and it was just, you know, lights out after that. Yeah, I mean, a big reason why I picked Kansas State as my darling, and I I still think they're going to have a pretty good end of the season, but a big reason why I picked them was because I thought they had the best, most talented player in the whole conference in Deuce Vaughn. Um, And, man, losing him would suck for their, you know, end of the season, you know, returns as far as what they could end up being able to produce and put out as a, as a finish to the season. So hope they can get back. Hope they can, you know, find their way back to playing time soon, but yeah, that's what we got right now. All right, let's go to what Trey termed as his game of the week. And it was certainly 
on my TV screen in the late afternoon. Um, Oklahoma State somehow finds a way to outlast Texas. It's a Texas team that jumped out to an early lead, and then the offensive woes really started to kind of manifest late in that game, some turnovers from Quinn Ewers. We, we've got all kinds of stats to, to chat about there, but Trail, I'll kick it to you. Oklahoma State, again, finds a way. They are down 10 starters now for the season, and yet they, they still are playing winning football. How impressed are you with the Pokes? Yeah, I'm extremely impressed with what Oklahoma State's been able to do. You talk about the injuries. You talk about just, you know, rolling with the punches, coming off of a loss, coming into an emotional game. It's homecoming. The hated Texas Longhorns are in town. Team that everybody in the Big 12 wants to beat. And it really didn't start out well for them. I was really concerned. I was more concerned about their ability to cover Texas receivers in this one. Really turned into they couldn't stop the run and usually when you can't stop the run against a duo like Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson that's the game right like if you can't stop those guys if you can't contain them then you're really going to struggle to have success against this Texas Longhorns team but yeah they hung with it they there were tons of points in this game when they could have kind of hung their heads a little bit the clock mismanagement at the end of the first half Spencer Sanders threw a bad pick in the red zone tons of opportunities for them to give up and just kind of hang their heads but credit them for hanging in there and they really outplayed and outlasted texas in the second half held them just three points in the second half so hats off to the defense for stepping up after halftime and the offense for really hanging in there and giving the final knockout blow yeah and to be clear i think this has everything to do with what oklahoma state did on the field you know i had a little bit of an insight on this one too my sister goes to oklahoma state my entire family was up there um, visiting for homecoming and, and getting to be around that. The environment was absolutely electric up there. I mean, game day energy, everything around that game, everybody wanted to watch them beat the Longhorns. And of course, they come out with the early pick and starts to feel good. Then they fall behind a little bit of a swing there. Man, Oklahoma State did what they needed to do, and they showed that they play some decent defense, right? Obviously, there were some struggles in the first half, right? There were some issues with the defense in the first half. But yeah, they came out and gave up, what, three points in the second half? That's fantastic. You made your adjustments. You went in the locker room. You saw what they were doing. And you shut down what is supposed to be a vaunted Texas offense. And I think that they're very good. But man, Quinn did not have a good day. Quinn, he has flashes, I think. But I don't think that Quinn is quite there in his development to live up to the billing that they have for him in Austin. And that might have to do with inflated expectations. But I think he's a really talented quarterback who will get there. But he's not there yet. He can't go on the road, and you shouldn't expect him to go on the road to a hostile environment and perform extremely well against a crowd that wants to watch you lose as bad as they did, right? You know, as for Oklahoma State, this is a fantastic bounce back after a tough road loss last week, you know, having to come back, keeping that, you know, hope for the Big 12 championship alive and being able to come back out there. I thought Spencer Sanders played extremely well. He, he had a couple of bad moments, but that's just what you get when you're, you know, working with Spencer Sanders. He's a gunslinger. He, he does what he needs to do. I was talking to my parents about this one, actually, today when we called on the phone. And they're like, man, that Spencer Sanders guy, he sucks. And I'm like, no, Spencer Sanders is a gunslinger. He's like Brett Favre. You know, he's going to do some stuff where you're going to want to pull out your hair. There's going to be a couple plays he makes where you say, we would not have won that game if he wasn't on our team. And I think yesterday was another example of that where, yeah, he's going to make you want to, you know, you know, put your head through a wall sometimes. But at the same time, he, he did some really good things. You know, penalties were huge in this one as well. 
you know, with, with Texas, I think it was 13 penalties to Oklahoma not committing a single one. Yeah. Probably isn't true. You know, I'd be very surprised if they didn't, you know, hold a little bit here, do something like that. But again, it's all about what the refs see and and being blatant versus not blatant with your with the way that you commit your penalties. So, you know, hats off to Oklahoma State. Good job keeping it alive. And, you know, hopefully they can keep stretching this down the down the stretch of the season. I was shocked and friend of the show, Austin Taylor, uh, who's been on this program a couple times now, texted me, I guess, a couple of weeks ago. Spencer Sanders, and, and tell me if this isn't wrong, people out there in, in the Ethernet. Uh, Spencer Sanders has thrown at least one interception in every game that he's played since 2019. He's always due for one interception, at least a game. And you mentioned that interception thrown in the red zone threw it to uh, Ryan Watts. I believe the Ohio state transfer, just a bad pick, right? Tries to go back shoulder with his receiver, but his receiver and Watts are are grappling. There's no separation. And of course the tip drill goes right right into Ryan Watts, right? Yeah. Just, just not the throw that I wanted to see him make. But on the other side, their pass rush was able to get to Quinn Ewers, and there was some sort of miscommunication going on all day long with Ewers and his receivers. You know, you, Trey, you mentioned it, 38.7% of his passes were completed. He was just 19 of 49. He had, according to the, the ABC broadcast, he had 20 overthrows in that game, which is just astounding. It just, it wasn't that his guys weren't open, because as we talked about, Oklahoma State, one of the worst pass defenses in the entire country, he just couldn't find his guys even when they were open deep down the field. And that ended a lot of Texas drives. They only scored three points in the second half. Just couldn't move the ball and keep the chains going, and Oklahoma State found a way to do it. Yeah, well, and I think I saw a stat too, and someone can correct me on this if it's wrong, but I saw something where he's the first quarterback since 2000 to pass for like 49 or 50 attempts and not complete 20 or something like that. Yeah, I saw a similar stat. Yeah, it it, it was just a rough day at the office. And, you know, we see this across college football when you play these younger guys. And, you know, Quinn's not a true freshman, but he didn't get a lot of action last year in his first year at Ohio State. And he's still learning what it feels like to play in a live game against college competition. And, it wasn't that he didn't have time. It wasn't that his receivers weren't open, but that environment or something just in the big moment of the game just kind of got to him. And that's going to happen when you have a young quarterback. Doesn't mean he's not talented. Doesn't mean the future's not bright for him, but you're going to have games like this that just look like a freshman's playing when you're playing a freshman. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the bigger indicators even of that point was there, there was a play towards the end of the game where he was airing it out for, I think he had worthy like wide open. And he didn't necessarily overthrow him, but it looked like Worthy cut the route and kind of ran it a little bit flatter when he needed to cut more towards the corner. And that's where Quinn thought the ball should go, at least. And there's I don't know if it was miscommunication or just a bad throw, but like it just wasn't synced up. There's no reason you should have a guy that wide open and not complete that pass. But something about that just seemed difficult for him. So. You know, I, I don't know if that's, you know, again, the pressure that you were talking about, Trey, or just being on the road or or what it was. But, you know, he, he clearly didn't have that chemistry that they needed there in that situation. I will say I'm I'm surprised that Texas fans are, are melting down. Now, look, it's what the 11th double digit lead that Sark has blown in the second half already in his head coaching career. I mean, that's not great. That is not great. But 
look, even going eight and four, Texas, you went five and seven last year. Like you can't, you cannot continue to listen to the national narrative and everything that you talk about on Inside Texas and Orange Bloods about making the playoff as a two-loss team. If you seriously believe that, I'm sorry, but you were set up for disappointment. Eight and four after the debacle that was last season would be a godsend for Texas. I mean, let's let's be honest. You're installing an entirely new quarterback and offense. You've replaced a number of defensive pieces. And oh, by the way, your offensive line is extremely young. Look at what's happening up the road in College Station. Eight and four is not a bad season giving all the flux that your roster has had. So, you know, the world's not ending for Texas. Now, is there a concerning trend about Sark blowing double-digit leads in the second half? For sure. Right. Yeah, Texas has got to fix that narrative. You've got to learn how to close games. Do I doubt that they're going to learn how to do that in the next couple of years? I don't. Their culture and the the talent that they're bringing in, to me, as an outsider, feels different. I do trust the direction this program is headed. So, you know, the, the folks that are melting down on Twitter and, and calling for Sarkeesian to be fired and, you know, Quinn Ewers to be benched in favor of Hudson Card, guys, I, do, I, I mean, what are you doing? I don't know what else to tell you, right? I mean, if, if that's what you truly believe, skip ahead the next few seconds because – you're, nothing that I'm going to say is convince you going to convince you otherwise. But I, I truly feel like Texas is headed in the right direction. Eight and four is very realistic for the rest of this season. I think there's a lot to build on. You're going to bring in a stellar recruiting class. Like you take a step back and you log off Twitter for 30 seconds outside of the moment, and things are looking pretty good in Austin. I, I mean, am I just am I wrong about that? I will say eight and four would be a huge step in the right direction. And if I'm not mistaken, it'd either be the best or the second best season Sark has had as a head coach. So yeah, I think he's only think had seven right. and five seasons, right? Or something like yeah. that. It would be a strong step forward and it would be, you know, lots of glimpses. But I think the frustrating thing for Texas fans and for those close to that program is just how you're getting to that eight and four, you know? And if it's eight and four and all four of those losses were winnable games, that's frustrating. That you that is extremely right. frustrating, especially when you talk about these double digit leads. Just kind of let them slip out of your fingertips, you know? And every team, even the national champion, is gonna have ifs and buts throughout the course of their schedule, right? But when it becomes a pattern, I see why the Texas fans are concerned. I see where the frustration is coming from. And it's not like the coach that they have has the skins on the wall to give them the confidence to say, look what he's done at another place. Look what he has done to overcome that in another stint in his career. So I get the concern. Should they be burning the whole house down after a loss on the road to maybe the best or second best team in their conference? Absolutely not. But there are concerning trends that need to get fixed or Sark's not going to be the guy to see all of these guys that have been recruited. Right. And the big thing, too, with Texas that needs to get fixed is just patience. Right. This is the issue that I think Texas has faced for a long time in their program is they didn't have the patience to wait with Charlie Strong. They didn't have the patience to wait with Tom Herman. And maybe you can make arguments that they shouldn't have waited for those guys. Right. But you got to wait. If Sark is the guy and if you believe that he's you know the coach for you and that he's doing good things, 
then eight and four has to be okay for this year, right? Or even if you drop another game and it's, you know, seven and five or something like that, right? You have to be able to say, okay, well, did we make a bowl game? Did we take a step in the right direction? Was there young talent that wasn't mature enough yet and needed to find a way to get that killer instinct, right? There, you need to have some patience, right? And there needs to be something within the program, within the donors, within, you know, whoever's doing what within that program to say, you know what? Yeah, we're going to manage our expectations and say, yeah, we were kind of bad last year and we had a coaching change and trying to rebuild the roster. So we're going to stick around with it. And if it takes them a couple years of eight and four and nine and three to get there, that has to be okay. That just has to be okay. And you have to be able to wait and let him build his squad and build his team and build his culture. Last thing that I'll mention, uh, and I've commented on it already, Oklahoma State down 10 starters from their week one game against uh what was it central michigan i think was the first team that they hosted so 10 guys that lined up as starters on the two deep done for the year uh it is incredible the next man up mentality that oklahoma state has you know a lot of programs will use injuries as uh as a crutch as an excuse looking at the program that we all support and some of the things that we've said but it is truly special how oklahoma state just continues to win with you know less talent, quote unquote, than the national average, and yet they are the best or the second best team in the Big Twelve, uh, with holes all over that roster. So excited to see what Oklahoma State does next. They go to Manhattan to take on Kansas State. That could be a battle of the walking wounded, and yet a pivotal game in the fate of uh, the Big Twelve and their championship. All right, so just so the show isn't two hours long, let's go ahead and get through the rest of our featured games kind of quickly. We've got LSU and Ole Miss, Clemson and Syracuse, Buffalo and Toledo. I can't wait to talk a little action. Let's start in Baton Rouge, LSU 45, Ole Miss 20. Ole Miss jumped out to a 17 to, what was it, three lead over the LSU Tigers, and then you you see the, the final score. Do a little bit of math. LSU did uh, way more scoring than Ole Miss did after the first quarter. Guys, LSU's looking kind of dangerous, especially offensively. Yeah, I'm going to borrow a line from the American cinematic masterpiece, Happy Gilmore, when I say, "Uh uh-oh, Jalen Daniels learned how to throw, because that is scary if you're trying to defend this LSU offense. So I got mixed up with Jaden and Jalen again, and I apologize, but Jaden Daniels learned how to throw, and that's scary. That's really, really scary if you're a defense that has to play these LSU Tigers. They've been one-dimensional throughout a good chunk of the season, but he was slinging it yesterday. He threw for 248 yards through 21 out of 28 on his passes, looked really, really good and poised in the pocket, just picked apart um, Ole Miss and added another 121 yards on the ground. So that is a scary combination. That's going to be a lethal combination. If LSU can keep playing offense like that, They're going to have something to say about the SEC West title race. Yeah, and I thought I knew that Ole Miss was overrated, but wow, LSU impressed me, right? I I thought, you know, just on the Ole Miss front for a second, you know, Ole Miss, I I don't know if they're just bad on defense or if it's just they're one-dimensional on offense or something like that, but it didn't seem like they were a top-10 team. It it certainly didn't seem like they walked in there and were a top-10 team. So um, I think a little bit of getting exposed for a team that had a pretty easy schedule to this point, not saying anything's necessarily wrong with them, but um, just needed to see more out of them to be convinced that they belonged in that top 10 conversation. But wow, 
LSU found some kind of rhythm on offense. I don't know if they're going to keep that going. It seems like it's been a little bit of up and down for them. Obviously, you know, they had the big win against Mississippi State, follow that up with just a nothing against Tennessee. And, you know, now we're back up with Ole Miss. So let's see how the rest of the season goes for them. I certainly would like where I am as an LSU fan with this program, right? I think being able to see that this offense has the capacity to do this and that your team has the ability to beat really good teams that may have some flaws, but really good teams, I think is optimistic if you're an LSU fan. And again, managing your expectations. Where are you in year one? Maybe not where you wanted to be, but you still have some opportunities. Speaking of opportunities, watch out Bama. LSU, if they can keep this going, might be a threat because Bama didn't look too good against a and a couple weeks ago. They, you know, of course, they dropped the game to Tennessee. They do bounce back against Mississippi State, but they got to watch out because LSU is going to provide some kind of a challenge to them if they don't. I think Ole Miss, they're a little one-dimensional. I think, you know, Jackson Dart was not impressive. He didn't look like he was the guy. Maybe it's a personnel thing, but it doesn't look like they have the same spark on offense as when Kiffin got there. Again, maybe it's personnel. It could just be that they don't have the right guys there and that they're kind of in a bit of a reloading year. But this is after the big portal class that they had. So, you know, I have some questions about even maybe personnel evaluation. And I think it's something to keep an eye on as the you know, program moves into the future as to whether or not they can kind of regain that that spice on offense. Well, for me, when I look down at the box score, it, it came down to two things. One, Ole Miss has been so successful this year on the ground. And, you know, you think of Lane Kiffin as an air raid, throw it, spread it out and throw the mm-hmm. ball down the field. He has used the run, even going back to his days at Tennessee, USC, he uses the running game to set up the pass. He's not Mike Leach. Uh, well, at least leech of old, where he's just going to put five wide receivers on the field and throw it downfield every single play. He's used the running game to great effect this year, but you look at their rushing stats from uh, a day ago, 117 yards on the ground total. Quenshawn Judkins, the freshman, had 111 of them. LSU, meanwhile, had 252 mm-hmm. yards on the ground. So the time of possession skewed in LSU's favor. The other thing, two turnovers for Ole Miss. They were able to move the football, but they weren't able to punch it into the end zone and pay off drives the way that LSU can do with just reckless abandon right now, right? I mean, Jackson Dart doesn't throw for a touchdown, throws one pick. They fumble a football. They lose that. LSU doesn't turn the football over all day, and they were so sharp in that second half. Guys, I got to tell you, they just look like they're having fun. I mean, every single time Daniels finds his way into the end zone, he's smiling. He's clapping teammates on the back. Like, this is a kid who did everything he could just to survive at Arizona State behind one of the worst offensive lines in the country. Now he's getting to, he's getting to flourish. He's getting He has time to throw the football down the field. He can do whatever he wants with his legs. You're right. I mean, we, we completely whiffed on LSU not being a factor in the SEC West. I think it's just, you know, and as, as much as we don't want to give it, Give credit to Brian Kelly because he's not a great players coach. He's he's unlikable from that standpoint. The guy knows what he's talking about with the X's and O's. And his staff seems to be in place to where they found a rhythm and they are humming right now on the football field. Well, and to be fair to us and to others in the media that have, you know, kind of poo-pooed on LSU to start the year, there wasn't really a lot of reason for optimism looking at that offense, especially after the Florida State game, especially after the Auburn game. Um, where they only barely escaped probably the worst team in the SEC West. So 
they've, they've fixed a lot of things and that's why you're seeing kind of a resurgence of LSU and why they are now a legitimate contender for the SEC West. On the other side of the ball, Jackson Dart is, I don't think, a guy that can beat you without a solid running game. And no. they've got to find somebody to kind of spell Quinshawn Judkins a little bit. He 25 carries for a freshman is just a lot of touches in a physical mm-hmm. SEC West matchup. He's handled it well, but Zach Evans, Ulysses Bentley, somebody else on that roster, somebody else that's very talented on that roster needs to kind of give him a spell. And if they can't run the ball, Ole Miss, I don't think can beat you. Well, and partially it's just because LSU decided to sell out to stop the run. They knew that's what they wanted to do. And they kind of just said, go ahead, Jackson Dart, beat me. And it wasn't like they loaded the box every single play, but they did a lot of things defensively to fit the gaps and to say, you know, we're not going to let you run the ball on us all the time. And I think they did a pretty dang good job with that. And, you know, kind of like what Mitch was saying, you know, the X's and O's are there for this team. They know what they're doing, you know, on offense and on defense. They know what they're trying to do. They know what their their scheme is. They're, they seem to be putting their players in good positions to win. It's all about the consistency, I think, at this point. Are you going to get the team that can go over and, and dominate a Mississippi State and dominate an Ole Miss? Or are you going to get a team who's going to not even show up to a Tennessee game? So I, it's all about what team shows up for me for the rest of the season. Good news if you're Ole Miss, you go from playing one of the most confident offenses in the SEC to one of the most dilapidated and helpless in College Station this next week. Um, we'll get to the Aggies, I think, in in maybe due time. We'll see. Um, I don't want to push Buffalo Toledo to the bottom of our featured game, so let's talk about them very quickly. We, we've got to move. We've got to get, get through a lot of games here in the next, I don't know, 30 minutes or so. Buffalo 37, Toledo 27. This was a battle of the Mac West leader in Toledo and the Mac East leader in Buffalo. Bulls were seven and a half point dogs at home. They were down early. And then they roar back to beat Toledo. I believe they scored the final 10 points, a couple big takeaways by that Buffalo defense. I mean, check, first of all, and my dog of the week, was excited to see them win that game. Buffalo went from one of the teams that, gosh, like you, you wanted to root for them because I think they've got a cool brand. They obviously play in some funky weather up there in the Northeast. And, you know, they've got they've got an intriguing staff. They've got a very young staff up there as well. Toledo has been one of the more traditional powers in the Mac. They don't really have the quarterback that I think is as dynamic as they've maybe had in years past throwing the football down the field. Daquan Finn, I believe, is their current quarterback, more of a threat with his legs, but a great comeback for Buffalo. And I was really excited to see the Bulls not only get a win, but really start to entrench themselves as the team to beat in the Mac. Yeah, their turnaround on the season has just been really fun to watch as well, starting off. 0-3 and now reeling off I think five straight wins now so right on the cusp of bowl eligibility looking like a force in the Mac Toledo turning the ball six over six times definitely helped but that's a problem that's a problem and you're not going to win a lot of games especially on the road when you turn the ball over six times but yeah credit to the Bulls for coming back and taking care of business and yeah I'm excited to see what they can do the rest of the year yeah, and one of those turnovers, by the way, was wasn't that that scoop and score where he went like what like seventy something yards down the field with that one? That was pretty exciting, and I think just kind of fun to watch. Generally speaking, um, it's it's a fun team. You know, it's something to watch in the MAC, and I think it's something that you can kind of keep your eye out for. It's a fun story. I'm glad they can kind of keep it rolling. Yeah, six turnovers is a lot. Still not the most that was committed in Division One FBS football <laughs> yesterday. 
Looking at you, Miami. Uh, in the <laughs> ACC, let's talk about Clemson-Syracuse quickly. We, we teased this towards the beginning of the show when, when Garrett said, you know, you can't write off Clemson quite yet. And I, I'm not meaning that I would write Clemson off. But what I will say is there's a quarterback controversy in Death Valley. Clemson does win 27-21. Basically, Syracuse did their best to kind of give that game back to Clemson in the second half. I don't believe they scored uh, anything in the, in that second half. The Orange were shut out. But DJU, after turning the ball over multiple times, specifically after throwing a really bad interception in the third quarter, is benched in favor of Cade Klubnick the true freshman who comes in from Austin Westlake. Klubnik didn't do a ton to lead that comeback. They finally got Will Shipley going in the ground game, just wore down the orange. So that comeback win, I'm not going to credit it to Cade Klubnik, but at the same time, there's something to be said for the fact that Dabo Sweeney had Cade taking those snaps, not DJU. Yeah, he kind of felt like he succumbed to the crowd just a little bit and not saying that DJU deserved to finish that game by any means because just when we thought he had expelled all of the problems from 2021, they just came roaring back in this uh, game that, you know, Syracuse has a solid defense. We talked about how they hadn't really played um, nowhere near as talented a team as Clemson yet this year. So uh, Kate Klubnik gets put in there. It, like you said, it wasn't really him leading the charge. He didn't turn the ball over um, on his limited passing attempts, so that was a huge help compared to what DJU was doing, but it was really the ground game, Will Shipley, and the defense, like we said, pitching a shutout, only allowing two offensive touchdowns on the day um, that allowed uh, Clemson to get back in this one and keep their playoff hopes alive. Yeah, and the big thing for me, coming off like what we talked about at the top, you're going to write them off. Well, no, I've said this a couple times. If you're a good team, you get to have a bad week, right? If you win, you get to have a bad week, and you can come back and bounce back for it. What are they going to do? Well, that's a big question because, yikes, DJ, he looked bad. Something in his head broke. I've said it before, but the most important you know, couple of you know space on the field is the four inches between the quarterback's head and, and between his ears, right? It's what's going on inside the quarterback's head is going to be the most important thing that happens on the football field. And it wasn't there for DJ. There were just mental mistakes, massive miscues. And I think Cade Klubnik kind of came in and saved the day just by not, you know, kind of making those mistakes. It wasn't that he was fantastic with his arm. I'm not saying that, obviously. But he just kind of let the offense do its thing and let the offense be the better team. He let Clemson be the better team and end up winning this game against an Orange team that we've talked about. Weird stuff happens with this team. And, you know, you are lucky to get out of it when you give up defensive scores like that. And so, you know, does Dabo roll with Cade on the backstretch of this season now that, you know, the competition lightens up a little bit? You give Cade a chance to develop a little bit because you think he gives you the best chance to win by just not making those mistakes? Do you try to go back to, to DJ and fix whatever went wrong in his head? Whatever, you know, happened, you just say, let's shake it off. Let's get back to it, you know, and, and try to see if you can use these last couple of games to fix that what are we doing, right? What What's the, the question? Dabo's got some questions to answer. Um, it's not in trouble, but the alarm is certainly raised somewhat if you're in Clemson. So, yeah, lots to figure out. I think they'll still make the playoff. I think they'll figure out a way to do it in the ACC. Does it put a cap on their season? Maybe. We'll see. It, it feels like Clemson's going to have to work to not be undefeated going into the ACC championship game. Now, I'll give you their... Uh, schedule in just a second 
on DJU and Cade Klubnig, just a pathetic passing effort from Clemson yesterday. DJU, 13-21, 138 yards, two interceptions, a QBR of 16. Like I mentioned, Cade Klubnik did not come in and win that game with his arm. Just two of four for 19 yards, um, and he did not record a rushing attempt. It was Will Shipley who got going in the second half. 27 totes, 6.4 a carry for 172 yards and two touchdowns, including a 50-yarder in that fourth quarter that I believe gave Clemson the lead at that point. Um, and that felt like the straw that that broke the camel's back. From a scheduling perspective, they've got at Notre Dame in primetime uh, two weeks from now. So they had to a bye. So they will have time to figure out their quarterback situation. Then they're home against Louisville, who, by the way, beat Pitt yesterday. Did any of y'all notice that? I, I didn't notice it until you put it in the show doc. And Dang. I was like, wow. <laughs> Did not hear a peep about that game. They're home against Miami, which, gosh, right now, guys, feels like an FCS opponent. And then, very sneakily, the battle for the Palmetto State. Uh, at the end of the year, South Carolina is ranked 25th, as the AP poll came out earlier today. That's their season finale. So, I, I really think, you know, given what Notre Dame couldn't do against UNLV, as Garrett won his ledger pick, they couldn't put away uh, the, the running Rebs. I don't see Louisville or Miami really offering much of a much of a fight. Plus, three of your last four games are all at home. So very, very comfortable setting for you. I think they're gonna have to work to not be twelve and zero and heading to the ACC championship game. But one of those one of those bugaboos that you have to get uh ironed out is you absolutely have to have a quarterback to win your conference championship game and then ultimately to make the playoff as well. All right, so with the highlighted games out of the way, let's whip around the conferences. Let's start with the Big 12. Just two other games to mention that we haven't already talked about. Baylor and Kansas, the Bears hang on. Homecoming week for the Bears, the second straight week that Kansas had to go be someone's homecoming date. Uh, They got run out of the building a little bit against Oklahoma in a get-right game for the Sooners last week. They hang on and make this a football game. They had to come back but ultimately fall by 12 to Baylor. Guys, Kansas bowl eligibility legitimately might not be secure. With all these injuries, the def- the hype is kind of subsiding. The defense has given up a lot of points. And, you know, listen, I love the big green machine, uh, or the big bean machine, but ew, 23 against a Baylor defense that just gave up 43 on the road, not the best sign of life there for Lance Leipold's team. Yeah, and just to be clear, nice bounce back for Baylor after a very disappointing Thursday night game that they played the week previous, right? Just weird situation for them to be able to bounce back, come back home, and just take care of your business against a Kansas team who's been pretty good, uh, I think is more impressive than we're going to give them credit for here. But man, Kansas' chance at making a bowl, I'm so devastated for them that they have so many starters that have gone down and have really made this look like a chore to get bowl eligible, right? They were 5-0. and you know, we were talking about them maybe being the first team in America to be bowl eligible. And now we're talking about the opportunity for them to not make a bowl at all. And I think that you have to manage your expectations here because the fact that I just said that about the Kansas Jayhawks is really, really great for their program, right? You want to play for this year. You want to make a bowl game. You want to find your way into one of those. But think about what I just said. The Kansas Jayhawks might disappointingly finish in a position where they don't make a bowl barely. That's kind of cool, 
right? I'm glad that we're talking about that. They need to pay Leipold. They need to go ahead and extend him and do what they need to do to keep him in town as long as they want to keep him there. Um, and they need to hit the portal hard this offseason. I think that they can convince a lot of guys to come play for him and to, to show up and make Kansas something pretty cool. But again, just great bounce back for the Bears. They were just a better team. I think it was a big step in the right direction for Shapin. Um, I, I, I do think that he took a step forward being able to bounce back from a disappointing loss like that. I think that'll go wonders for his development as a quarterback. Elsewhere in the Big 12, Texas Tech absolutely annihilates West Virginia in the battle of the Gen- John Denver Bowl, 48-10. to 10. Guys, the, the Baron era well underway out in Lubbock. They really feel like they've found their quarterback of the future. And the defense, man, like Tech has not had a a very consistent defense over the years. They've had times when they're forcing turnovers. They get kind of fun to watch. But overall, not known for keeping a team under three scores total in the game. Again, that West Virginia team that just scored 43 at home last week couldn't even manage two touchdowns on the road in Lubbock. I, I think it's a very impressive showing for Texas Tech. They're now four and zero at home, four and three on the season. Tell you what, Joey Mack, he's got something cooking out in Lubbock. There's a lot of programs in Texas that, whatever whatever they be, like the coaching just has a great fit right now, and it feels like the programs are moving in the right direction. Tech is one of them. The Barra, as I'm going to refer to it, is well underway. And I on a T-shirt. Yeah, and you know, I saw Tech Twitter joking a little bit this weekend that Quinn Ewers passed on transferring to Texas Tech and chose Texas because of Baron Morton. I don't know if that's a hundred percent true, wrong. but you know, he's playing like he could beat out anybody right now. So I'm excited to see can he continue that as he gets more film on him. You know, they have uh, I haven't pulled up their schedule, but you know, we highlighted that it was very front loaded. And in our previous season. So they have a chance to close and get a really nice record in year one. Yeah. And I'm personally thrilled that Texas tech is back because college football is just a lot more fun when you've got a good competitive Texas tech team, that fan base is a lot of fun to kind of, you know, talk with and jar back and forth with, you know, and, and I think that when you combine them with kind of the other teams in the state and kind of their relationship with other programs, I just think it's fun to have a good college football, Texas tech. So uh, welcome back to the scene. I think they found something with this Baron kid, and I, I'm thrilled to see where it goes from here. Yeah, the Morton Express is is leaving the station, so hop on if you if you want to want to see it. It's going to fill up very very quickly. Their remaining schedule not easy for sure. Um, it was front loaded, especially when you look at the fact that they played one, two, three, four, five ranked teams in a row. So compared to that. A little bit easier of a close, but they'll be home against Baylor this upcoming weekend. Then they go to TCU, home against Kansas, at Iowa State, home against Oklahoma. I think they can find two wins there. I would not bet anything more than six and six, even though I think they were, I can't remember what our darling projections were. I I don't remember what their over-under was. If they were a a six and a half team. I think they they were a five and a half. Okay, well, if they're five and a half, I can get them to bowl eligibility, but that's <laughs> that's probably it. Uh, they are undefeated at home. They are winless on the road. So there's your weird tortilla stat of the day. I'm going to go ahead and lock it in right now. They'll beat Baylor this weekend. They're going to Ooh, bowl. possibly run Baylor out of the stadium in the butt bowl. Well, yeah, it, could it happen. is at home. So if the trend continues, you'll, you'll be correct. Um, I, I think 
I'm sure we'll stick that in our preview. I, I think I like the Red Raiders there as well. Uh, Two last point question. favorites on the early line. So there you go. Oh, there you go. Okay. Last question, Garrett. I'll, I'll throw this just to you. Does Neil Brown survive this season? Uh, I, I believe this is where I get to use my Bugs Bunny meme from last time, but no. <laughs> tough, tough scene out there if you're a, a Mountaineer fan. All right, around the Big Ten, and gosh, this is out of all the slate of games, this is the mom do we have to slate of games. Uh, Ohio State does bad things to Iowa. 54-10, it was the first time that Iowa had be- been beaten by 40-plus since 1974. Five gentlemen, Oof. we were still feeling the effects of Vietnam when Iowa last got blown out by this much. Um, it's a historically inept Iowa offense. It's, it's it's actually painful to watch. I know that there's this joke on on Twitter with the sickos committee and embrace the ugly guys. I can't. I cannot physically sit down and watch Iowa play offensive football. It is. It's it's a crime against the forward pass and against all things that we love about this great game. Well, and this game went about exactly how I thought it was going to, and that's why I picked For it in sure. the ledger. I thought, okay, minus 30, easy, no problem. I didn't think they would score very much. I'm honestly shocked they got to 10. I, I would have been surprised if you told me they could get to 7. So, I mean, great for Ohio State. They're just cruising to an end-of-the-year matchup with Michigan right now. I can't remember the last time I've been this excited about a regular season game, that end of the year with Ohio State and Michigan. But, yeah, they're they're a very good team. They're doing a whole lot of things right. But I think this had as much to do with Iowa just being terrible. So, yeah. Yeah, Garrett, you're surprised because their touchdown came from a defensive score. Uh, It was a scoop and score (laughs) to to start the game. So I'm just shocked they got to 10. Yeah, I mean, they, and they, they did get a field goal on offense. That got them to 10. There you go. Well, and uh, Spencer Petrus was as bad as you can possibly be at quarterback. He, was, through, he kept It's throwing borderline him. abuse that he's still out there at this point. Can we just I call know. it that? Like, he, <laughs> he does not to, need to be on a D1 college football field, and let alone a no, Power 5 college football field. No doubt. Someone legitimately no. needs to check his, his eyes because he was just throwing darts to the wrong team. I mean, Tommy Eichenberg's pick six. I know his tight end is kind of in the zip code, but, but dude, I mean, he throws it right. He hits Eichenberg between the numbers. <laughs> yeah. It, Great pass. <laughs> it's, it's just sad that he, like, we, we need to put him out to pasture. We, we need to see somebody else. We need to run the wing tee with a wide receiver. We need to do something well, at Iowa because it's just – a borderline abuse to throw yeah. Spencer back out there. We can. Yeah. Well, and then Alex Padilla comes in as the backup quarterback at the end of the, or at, to start the second half. And uh, I, I tweeted this out, the Padilla flotilla, the Padilla flotilla, however you want to say it sunk before it even got out of the Harbor. Yeah. Alex Padilla threw two interceptions on his first three plays of the second half. So it's not like the backup is any better. Is it's, that bad? It is truly dire. Not good for, for Iowa. Yeah, it's 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 painful to watch, and that's all I care to discuss on that. Another game that was really low-key painful to watch was Penn State-Minnesota. Trey, what happened? You took the Gophers. I I, I hopped off the bandwagon when Tanner Morgan and, and Kirk Sharaka just, it was like they're not talking to each other anymore because this offense, if, if every single yard isn't gained by Mo Ibrahim, he ran for 102, and Minnesota was inept on offense. I, I mean, Penn State dominates in the wideout game. 
Yeah, I I'm trying to pull it up right now. I can't even pronounce the kid's name, but uh, Tanner Morgan was out, and Ethan Kalikamanis, Kalikamanis, sure. maybe that's close. Nine of twenty-two for one hundred and seventy-five yards, one touchdown, one interception. If you're uh, that bad, we don't deserve to say your name right. Yeah, I, I don't think we'll be seeing much more of him unless uh, oh. Tanner Morgan is still hurt. But yeah, it's just. A tough scene in Minneapolis right now. So many high hopes to start the season, and they are all gone. Yeah, what did I have to say about this side of the the conference, right? It's the shadow realm. Penn State was much better than they were over in the shadow realm. Um, They're a competent team. I I actually kind of think that Penn State might be the third best team in the conference, and there's a mile on either side of them. Like, I think there's about a mile's worth of difference between them and Michigan and between them and whoever number four is. Like, I don't have a clue who number four is. Maybe it's Illinois. Uh, maybe it's Purdue or I don't know. No, it's but not Purdue. It's not, it's not Purdue. Purdue. It's not Purdue. It's <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Like I don't know who that fourth guy is, but there's a miles worth of difference between them and Penn State. So good That's for about them for how far third, Michigan but... ran on Penn State. So <laughs> that uh, yeah yeah it was oh my goodness. Um, let's so Rutgers beats Indiana 24-17. Couple of notes here. Rutgers wins their first home Big Ten game since the year 2018 of our Lord, which is just an insane stat to think about. Congratulations to the folks at Piscataway. And I I jumped the gun because my source jumped the gun by a week. Now Indiana has officially recorded 700 losses as a collegiate football program, the first program to ever do that. So not only is hashtag nine Windiana dead for this season, but they've also achieved another historic milestone. So maybe the Hoosiers are actually winners in all this. Who knows? Um, Here's the 701, right? Yeah, well, hey, there, there you go. I'm sure it's going to come this season. Maryland wins 31-24 <laughs> over Northwestern. That was a horrendous game. I don't care to talk about it. Nope. The last game that I do want to mention, and Trey, I believe this is your note-taking here, Wisconsin 35, Purdue 24. Man, we didn't know what Vegas was intimating uh, when they released this line. Evidently, someone in Vegas knew that Taylor Swift had a new album coming out. Yeah, so that's what Vegas knew because Purdue – has fallen to 0 and 8 all time on the week that Taylor Swift releases a new album. Um, so I'll run through this real quick because I think it's hilarious. 2006, the self-titled Taylor Swift is released and they lose to Penn State. 2008, Fearless comes out, great album. Lost to Iowa. 2010, Speak Now, kind of forgettable, like their loss to Illinois. Red comes out in 2010, they lose to Minnesota. 1989 comes out in 2014, lost to Nebraska. Reputation in 2017, lost to Northwestern. Lover comes out in 2019. They lose to Nevada of all teams. And in 2021 or 2022, excuse me, they cap it off. Midnight's comes out. And of course, it's a loss to Wisconsin. To top it all off, Evermore comes out in 2010. Purdue just didn't even want to mess around with it. They canceled their season. Okay. They, they didn't play another game after that. They had another one scheduled against Indiana, called it off. Obviously, that was for COVID, not because Taylor Swift released an album, but. The joke still stands. Oh, who could say? The, the fact that we're talking about Taylor Swift on a college football podcast should prove that this is the shadow realm. Do you believe yet? None of this makes sense. This whole division is cursed. Just get it out. I don't want it. I don't want any part of this division anymore. When when we launch a merch line, I think shadow realm may have to be part of the first collection because absolutely, I, it's true, man. I, it's just true. Nothing makes sense. Up is down. Down is up. Uh, Illinois currently your Big Ten West. Uh, favorite sure. leader sacrificial lamb is that what we're gonna call them when they go to indianapolis <laughs> listen listen 
I know. I believe in Big Chief. Let's let's give Bert a chance in Indianapolis, but realistically, yes. Uh, to the <laughs> ACC, um, I want to clown on Miami because, my goodness, they've been a circus this year. Duke 45, Miami 21. Garrett, again, my apologies for uh, betting this against you in the ledger. I'll, I'll save my comments. Was not was not intentional, but uh, the Dukies go in and on the road force eight turnovers. That is not an exaggeration, nor is it a typo. Five fumbles, three interceptions. Tyler Van Dyke, I believe, got benched in this game, and Jake Garcia came in. He got hurt. He, he, he got, got hurt. hurt. Yeah. Uh, Jake Garcia was ooh, not the answer in this one. Um, good for Mike Elko, man. They keep winning. Yeah, my show notes just say, LOL, Miami is bad. Uh, but my darlings are great. So good for Duke. I'm just upset that they got picked against me in the ledger, but we'll let it All go. Right. It's fine. It was a great pick. It was a fantastic pick. As soon as I saw it, I was like, wait, are they really the dog in this one? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe they weren't catching. I probably would have picked Duke minus nine in this one, and I would have been right. And so. would have won. Yeah. Anyways, this is this was a great game for Duke. Pumped for them. Thrilled that I picked him as my darling. That three and a half looks like a joke at this point in the season. So good for them. Five fumbles for Miami. That's not a winning formula. <laughs> nope. Hard hard to uh, to score more than twenty one. I'm surprised they scored twenty one with eight turnovers. To be quite honest. <laughs> um, the other ACC games were low key forgettable. Apologies if this is your team. Louisville twenty four. Pitt ten. Wake Forest continues to dominate through the air. Sam Hartman, man, I wish he went to a bigger school because he would be getting Heisman consideration if it weren't for the first couple games he had to miss due to that blood clot. He's a gamer, man. He slings the ball. They win 43-15 over Boston College, who they're the fighting Zay Flowers. If Zay isn't catching a ball 80 yards down the field, BC's not scoring this year. And then on a Friday night, if you watch this, I'm so sorry, Virginia 16, Georgia Tech 9. The only note of this game, Georgia Tech's uh, quarterback on the last play of the game with literally nothing to do but heave it towards the end zone, runs casually out of bounds as time expires. Um, that seems to be just uh, a, a caricature of the entire Georgia Tech season. He had seen enough, just like we had all seen enough of that game. Because <laughs> the best case scenario there was overtime, and no one needed that. Nobody needed And to that. be clear, the 31 fans in attendance were very upset. But other than that, I mean, you know, that that's what they have. It was a bummer of a game if you watched it. But you probably didn't watch it. That probably got one of the worst ratings of a football game we've seen. Hey, last time Georgia Tech went to overtime, they beat Duke. So maybe that's, maybe that's how they're supposed to win their games. Uh, SEC, again, really not anything to mention here. Tennessee blows out directional, uh, what was it? Tennessee Martin, 65-24. Missouri, oh my heavens, 17-14 over Vandy. Cash uh, the ticket, baby. Yeah, if you, were, if you followed along, uh, I accidentally tripped Trey up because I tweeted at him saying what was something about, I think, it, I think the tweet was about Missouri minus 14, you thought I had gotten our positions mixed up. I yeah, was I, I was about to. Yeah, I was about to go have some screenshots there. Oh, make sure really? I got my correct uh, bet in. Oh yeah, you were correct. Your ledger pick put me on the Tigers here. Vandy didn't move the football all game long, but in the end, they're able to score fourteen. Missouri was up seventeen to nothing, I believe, in the first half, and they didn't score another point the rest of the game. Vandy comes back, they make it a game. So, of course, you were going to cash that ticket. We all knew that you were going to win that pick. And then South Carolina beats Texas A&M for the first time in program's existence, 30-24. to 24. Next. Yep. 
Not much <laughs> no, to talk about that, man. I, I will say because we did kind of like I, I did talk about the Longhorns, and I'll own my side of this as well. Things are very, very bad in College Station. There's yeah. not a lot of hope right now. We're down bad. Yep. You can kick us while we're down if you would yep. like to on Twitter. It, it's not a good scene right now. I'd say of the major programs, this is one of the worst in the state of Texas right now, just in terms of the direction that the programs are going, the, the way that everyone's performing. I'm saying you, know, you can argue about if SMU is in a worse place if you want to, but you know, I'm saying out of the main programs, whoever you want to count in that you know group, you know, they ain't better than TCU right now. They ain't better than Texas right now. They ain't better than Baylor right now. They ain't better than Tech right now. Texas can't do has anything. a transitive win over us, Garrett. I don't. <laughs> that is true. No, you're correct about that. And transitive wins do matter on this podcast. So, um, no, I just I, I think it's one of the worst offensive teams I've seen in a very long time. A chance to miss a bowl for the first time in what like 13, 14 years. Yeah, Something I thought we were past as a program, but yeah, it, it's been a long time since we hadn't even been able to make a bowl game. This is one of the worst teams I've watched play in a long time. And it's inexplicable, too, because it's, according to 24-7, the fifth most talented roster in the country. Yeah. Answers yeah. have to be found in College Station. Yeah, A&M has one of the longest, well, longest streaks for qualifying for a bowl. I don't know if active bowl streak still counts after they got COVID and were forced yeah, to after that, the, yeah. what was it, the Gator Bowl last year, or whatever bowl we were going to go play against um, Wake Forest. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the it's if you weren't on the bandwagon before, um, Jimbo has to give up play calling duties. It's clear, it's clear, and it, it was never more obvious than in a play sequence there in the second quarter where Jimbo burns two timeouts to rush the ball one yard on a third and two, and then ultimately kick a field goal instead of going for it. it they were inside the red zone, I believe, inside the ten even, um, and instead Jimbo just has too much on his plate. He's trying to teach young quarterbacks. He's trying to be a game manager, and he's also trying to call plays. Way too much going on. This offense is broken. The talent's not the issue. It's the offensive line, and it's the play calling that is holding this team back. And honestly, you give the Aggies an average offense with how well the defense is played. This is a nine, maybe a 10-win team if you can squint. But uh, things are broken in College Station. The the, the hurling insults, it's well-deserved right now. You are fifth in the country when this season started, according to the preseason projections, we were talking about a 10, 11 win uh, season for A&M, them being one year away from their championship window opening. And right now there are certainly arguments to be made that you could not be farther from your championship window opening than this lowest point in the Jimbo era. Yeah. And all that that you just said, Mitch was after falling down 17, nothing open the game you just came out and didn't look prepared you gave up an opening kickoff return for a touchdown threw an interception fumbled a snap yeah it, it's just ugly all around not much more to be said but it yeah not a lot of positives to look at right now that's coming out of a two-week prep because you had the bye week yep and you came out that bad in the first five minutes this goes way deeper than the play calling for jimbo i agree that it's an issue but this is much deeper than the play calling for jimbo play calling had nothing to do with why you were out of your rush lanes and you let a kickoff return or why you throw an ugly pick to the, you know, you know, guy late on a, on a wide receiver curl that gets returned to the five. And then again, the, the snap off the knee, right? None of this explains that, right? This isn't a play calling issue in that case. That's just a straight coaching issue. Having guys ready, having the mindset, right? 
None of it's right right now. It, it goes a lot deeper than play calling, and there have to be answers. People got to get fired in the offseason. It's, it's unacceptable at this point. No doubt. Uh, Pac-12, let's go out west. Stanford, 15. Arizona State, 14. I think there were 27 people and a dog that witnessed this based off the pictures on Twitter. <laughs> um, shout out to you guys for watching one of the ugliest football games of the year. Oregon State trounces Colorado 42 to 9 and Washington Bowl eligible Beavers. Let's go. Crank the chainsaws and Washington barely holds on 28-21 over Cal. That defense for Cal, they've been impressive. They just cannot score the football consistently this year. Um any anything stands out other than the bowl eligibility for Oregon State? I mean, they they look legit. They're, you know, they're off that offense is humming. Yeah, it, it, they're a lot of fun to watch. If you haven't gotten to catch them, I don't blame you because they're on the Pac-12 network like every single week. So yeah, you need to come over <laughs> to my house to watch that game. Apparently, yeah. So maybe next week I'll get to go watch Oregon State at Mitch's house. But yeah, I mean, the Pac-12 race, whether or not it's going to be relevant to the playoff, we can debate that. But I think the title race and who gets to go to the championship is going to be really fascinating to follow over these last couple of weeks. Yeah, nothing to add there on the Pac-12. It's, you know, ugly football all the way around for a lot of this. But there's some good moments, right? Oregon State looks okay. Stanford, ASU, don't want any part of it, right? Colorado, nope. Cal, next, right? Don't want to watch any part of this. It's, you know, I'm glad that they're out there on the West Coast and that people have something to watch out there. But I think the most notable thing that happened over the weekend on that coast was that, uh, you know, what's-his-face decided to cuss on live TV. So I was going to Lynch. That was a funny yeah. clip. Um, I'm glad that the PAC 12 scrapped divisions. That's, that's going to be an entertaining Good call. this year. A uh, group of five games to get to Cincinnati, 29 SMU, 27. That game looked miserable to be at, which is why we sold our tickets. Um, <laughs> Shout out to whoever bought them for 25 bucks a piece. Yeah, Hope you had a great time. <laughs> it was wind gusts up to 30 miles an hour at points. Um, it was hot. It was muggy. It was just not a delightful October day. SMU, though, they were down big. They roar back. And if you were on the Bearcats minus three on the road, I would tune into SVP's bad beat segment on Monday because you might just see that the end of that game there. Uh, SMU roars back. They lose by two. Cincinnati was obviously favored by three, depending on when you got to it. Uh, Tulane. Tulane beats Memphis. They were up 28. Uh, actually, I think it was 35. 35 to nothing. 35 yeah. to nothing. Memphis comes all the way back. Uh, but Tulane... Ranked in the AP Top 25 for the first time since 1998. They're going to move up again after beating Memphis. And, you know, and it was closer than ultimately what the game, the majority of the game would, would tell you to believe. But Tulane looks decent this year with a healthy Michael Pratt uh, under center. UTSA, 31. UNT, 27. Trey, this was a crazy game. Did you know, did you get to watch any of this? I had to watch it through Twitter because I couldn't find it on TV. No, I, I saw the highlights on Twitter as well and was kind of following the game cast. And like I said, I was I was uh, on the Varsity Network oh, app uh, for most of, most of this Saturday. <laughs> but uh, also shout out to those guys, because if you have a busy Saturday and you need to just throw a headphone in and kind of commit socially to what you're doing, but also stay in touch, that that college football blitz is amazing, man. And you get to hear the hometown calls as well. It's, it's awesome. But uh, back on that game, yeah, crazy finish. 21 points in the last two minutes or so. Frank Harris finds a receiver on a touchdown pass with 10 seconds to go, and UTSA escapes with a win. They look like they're rolling towards another Conference USA title. 
Yeah, excited to see how UTSA continues to find ways to be relevant. They're not letting last year just be a fluke of a season. Uh, UNT, that game was for supremacy in, in Conference USA. UNT's having a decent year as well, so shout out to Seth Luttrell. Uh, last game before we just very quickly recap the ledger, Liberty just shoves BYU into a locker yesterday, 41-14. Yeah, I'll cash that uh, ticket as well. Um, shout out Joe and Longview. Your alma mater just trounced BYU uh, this week. And yeah, I thought it would be a close game. I thought Liberty had a good chance to come out on top. But man, Liberty just looked ready to play. Hugh Freeze looking good for someone that needs a, to fill a coaching vacancy, especially yeah. in the South, maybe down in Alabama. Yeah, no, for sure. And also fantastic for Liberty and the real, the weird, like sort of religious bowl, right? Where they have the, the two like big religious schools. So I guess Liberty's God wins this one over the Mormon God, you know, good job for you right in your pie hole Mormons, right? You know, I, I don't know, right? It, it, it was a fun game to kind of watch the highlights of whenever they cut to the studio and you'd say, hey, they scored again, you know, so fun to kind of see that. But, you know, there's not a lot to say. Hugh Freeze will get himself a nice job pretty soon. Uh, let's wrap up the ledger and this wasn't a fun week for me, but really I, I felt like I kind of got bad beats left and right for, for this week. I went one in three Trey. I gave you Eastern Michigan after the, the factory got their doors blown off a week ago. Ball state came in at four and three. They were two point favorites at home. They were leading Eastern, New Me- uh, Eastern, New Mexico, Eastern Michigan had no offense. And then in the fourth quarter, the Eagles scored 10 to win the ballgame. I thought that was done and dusted. I really did. I thought Ball State was the easy winner. Their defense lets them down, and Eastern Michigan covers that game. Garrett, as, as we've already addressed, I did win. My lone win of the week was taking Duke plus nine. Again, all a thousand apologies to, to you for putting you in that position. Yeah, well, one and three this week is what you deserve for making me bet against my, uh, my <laughs> beloved Duke Blue Devils. Right. Uh, Garrett went two and two and Trey went three and one Trey. I, I mean, goodness, like you, you, you look at, at your picks. Uh, they look like very no duh common sense picks on the other side. of it. Yeah. I don't think Mizzou should get 14 against anybody. Anybody. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you know, I, Vandy was driving to win that game down the stretch. And I thought there, there's a moment I thought I might've gotten two outright winners there, but that would have been fun, but I'll take three and one as a nice consolation prize. Yeah, Garrett, you, you covered big, you took UNLV, you took Ohio state as well. Uh, you said Iowa might not cross midfield. You were kind of right. They did cross midfield thanks to a turnover sure. or two, um, but they did not score the offensive touchdown as we talked about. So ledger standing Iowa offensive touchdown (laughs) Uh, that, that might become the eighth wonder of the world at this point. Uh, Fellas long show had a lot to get to exciting stuff as always week eight delivered. I mean, it's, it's a cliche at this point, but week nine it's on deck. We're excited to preview it. uh, And we just continue to march forward towards what I think is going to become one of the best, championship seasons slash playoff seasons because we have a 12 team playoff staring us down the future barrel right we are truly building an ecosystem that will then go on to exist in a new realm of college football and so it it feels like a lot of programs are kind of jockeying for positioning in the new world order and i'm excited to uh to see where everyone shakes out 
Yeah, I think this is kind of fun. This is what it felt like when the BCS was leaving, right? When you're saying we're going to stop trusting computers and start letting the playoffs show up. The, that last year or so where that was just kind of we're still doing the same old thing, but we'll get it started. That was kind of fun, right? Because people were like, ah, well, you didn't make it. Who cares? We're going to get ready for this playoff coming up in a couple of years. And so now that you get the expanded one, it's going to be real fun to see people start getting ready, talk about recruiting, transfer portal, everything else like that. A lot of fun coming up. Yeah, big bowl season. Bowl projections are starting to mean something and really take shape. And yeah, New Year's Six up for grabs. Different bowl games. Are some power programs going to miss bowls this year? All that's to be decided in the last part of October and the all of November. For Trey Reeves, for Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. We're glad to have you with us for another Week 8 recap here on the 3 Technique. As I mentioned at the top of the show, follow us on our social media at 3TechPod. Uh, subscribe and give us a rating as well. Thank you guys so much for listening. It really means the world to us. Until next time, so long, everybody.